been quite a year, hasn't it? Uh, we haven't seen many years like this one. Uh, you know, the coronavirus pandemic brought things that uh, we had never seen before, at least not in, well, I don't think in any of our lifetimes have we uh, seen that. Um, and things that, honestly, I don't think we thought we would ever see. You know, I just, to this day, marvel at how the economy was pretty much just closed down. I mean, obviously there were exceptions to that, but, but just massive closure uh, of the economy. Uh, much of, I think it's fair to say, most of the country um, and, and much of the world isolating in homes. I never, never thought I would uh, see that. Public gatherings, forbidden, uh, or at least strongly encouraged. I want to give our uh, own governor, Governor DeWine, credit because he never, uh, he, he never said that churches could not meet. He just, he just appealed to us not to. And uh, he recognized the constitutional issues there, and he never, never said that we were not allowed to. Of course, many of us cooperated with that. Uh, but it's just been a fascinating time. I, I shared early on in the pandemic that it was, I think, somewhere around March 10th that Michelle and Heather and I were talking about things. It was when the news was really starting to turn ominous about the virus. And, and yet, I don't think any of us at that point, you know, quite were on board with all that we were hearing. And I remember saying very emphatically, we will not close service over this virus. And then four days later, I sent you all an announcement. We're closing service. And then we haven't met together in, uh, I think, it's been 14 weeks or something, something like that until today. Uh, so it has really been uh, quite, a, quite, a, quite a year. And again, it's great to have you, uh, a good portion of you, back today. Then, just as we were starting to venture back out, just as we were starting to return to some normalcy two weeks ago tomorrow, George Floyd's life was, hopefully we can all agree, unjustly uh, ended. And we know everything that has transpired since that time. Uh, protests began happening in cities across the country, hundreds of cities. This isn't just like, hey, a protest here or there, but protest all over the country. And then, of course, sadly, uh, many of the protests turned violent, and what started out as an appropriate response devolved into rioting and looting. And I think it would be accurate to say that we've seen the worst rioting since the late 1960s, uh, at least um, on the scale uh, that we have seen it uh, this time around. Last week, I started a series on Acts 1 and 2 called Empowered, and last week I noted that in Christ's call to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, we discover that the kingdom of God is for all people, nations, and languages. It is for all races. And I noted that racism is antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God, and the believers in Jesus simply cannot be racist. And what I intended to do today was continue that series. And I was going to again emphasize that point from Acts 2 while 
still focusing much of the message on other aspects of the day of Pentecost, but as this past week unfolded, I really felt that I needed to take this Sunday and devote the entire message today to the topic of race. So we will resume the Empowered series next week, but today, in light of all that's going on in our nation and the focus on racial matters, I've chosen to share a message that I hope is going to help us all think biblically about race. And so that's what I've simply titled the message, Thinking Biblically About Race. To think biblically about race means that we share God's thoughts about race. When we see what the Bible says about it, we know what God thinks about it, and then that's what we're supposed to think about it. And our responsibility as believers on every topic and in every circumstance in life is to surrender our minds and our bodies to God. To allow our thinking to be transformed by the Holy Spirit so that we adopt God's thoughts in every part of life. So that we adopt God's thoughts on every issue in life. While I may disappoint some of you today uh, with this, my purpose is not to litigate America's history. Either to prosecute it or to offer a defense of it. My purpose is also not to wade into political solutions. My focus today is entirely on sharing what the Bible says about race toward the goal of helping us think biblically, which means helping us think correctly on this issue. And so my focus today is at the heart level, that we would have our hearts transformed by the Holy Spirit and our minds conformed to thinking that is pleasing to God. Now, I want to acknowledge, I do not assume today that that hasn't already happened for you. I, I hope that it has. I mean, as believers, it should have happened for us. And, and so I don't assume it hasn't. And so if that has happened for you, just consider this message an affirmation of what's already transpired in your own life. But there may be some of us here today who do need our thinking changed, our thinking transformed on this issue of race. There might be some of us today who have not allowed our thoughts on race to be conformed to God's thoughts on race. We haven't allowed our hearts to be changed regarding prejudices that we hold that are displeasing to God. And so if that's true for you, I hope that what you will do is simply be honest about that. Just be honest about that. Open your heart today. Open yourself to the possibility that God may want to do a work in your life and transform you today. That if it's not already true that you could leave here with God's view on race being your view on race. You could leave here today having been changed. What a wonderful thing that would be.
I also want to acknowledge that there's way more that could and should be said today than what I'll be saying. I'm under no illusion that I'm offering the definitive message on thinking biblically about race. But I do believe that what I share today provides at least a solid overview toward thinking like the Bible on this very important topic. Here's the starting point for thinking biblically about race. It is to understand that racial diversity is God's idea. Racial diversity is God's idea. Now, it goes beyond my purpose today to wade into the topic of how all of the different races came to be. I do want to remind us that we all share the same original ancestors. And so in a very true sense, we are one race. We are one people, the human race. So how various races came to be is beyond our scope, but this much we can say with certainty. Racial diversity is God's idea. God could have made every single one of us the same, and wouldn't that have been horribly boring? He could have done that. He said, no, I'm going to create diversity. And so the diversity we see among people and races came from the mind of God. This is so important to understand. And that right there is really all we need to know about what the Bible says about race for us to celebrate the uniqueness of races. God did it. It's his plan. It's his design. Racial diversity is God's idea. In all the various races of people on the earth, this next thing is true for every individual of every race. Every human being is an image bearer of God. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Every race, every ethnicity created in the image of God. Here's what this means, friends. Because racial diversity is God's idea. Because every person of every race has been created in the image of God, racism is a denial of the image of God in a person. And as such, racism cannot be dismissed with statements like, well, that's just the way we were raised. Or, you know, unfortunately, I've just had some bad experiences that have caused me to be a little bit prejudiced sometimes. You see, racism is not a minor thing to God. It is a rejection of God's idea. It's a rejection of the image of God in each and every human being of every race and ethnicity. It's a big deal. Racial diversity is God's idea. And to think biblically about race, we must also understand, believe, and embrace the truth 
that God is directly involved in the formation of every single human being. You say, Brian, I think that just kind of happens naturally. And it does. But God is involved in that natural process. The Bible affirms this over and over. In Jeremiah 1.5, God says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God formed every single person in the womb of their mother. The 139th Psalm, the psalmist acknowledged that God knitted him together in his mother's womb. That sounds like pretty direct involvement to me. Knitted me together. Isaiah 44, 24. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord who has made all things. All things. Every single person. These verses that I've just read to you form much of the biblical basis for Christian people being pro-life. Let me add that basic scientific understanding also forms the basis for Christians being pro-life. But these verses we've read are the foundation of thinking biblically about pre-born human beings. And these verses also help us to think biblically about race. God is directly involved in the formation of every single human being, of every race and ethnicity. Racism disrespects God's formation of each unique human individual. Racism is a devaluing of what God has personally created. It's sort of like standing next to the, to, the, to the painter of a great work of art and saying, eh, that's no good. If you don't recognize how good that great work of art is, it's not because it isn't great. It's because you don't know what you're talking about. Which I admit on art, I don't. So, so, so I do say that about art, but not with the author or not with the, the artist right beside me say it in private. Okay, but now I'm really just kind of saying dumb stuff, so let's move on. Racism is a devaluing of what God has personally created. And as these verses help us think biblically about both matters of life and race, here is what we can and should conclude. Racism is a violation of of the pro-life commitment that is mandatory for a follower of Jesus. You say, I'm pro-life. And you hold racist sentiments. You're not telling the truth. You're not pro-life. You're pro one kind of life. Racism is a violation of the pro-life commitment that is mandatory for a follower of Jesus. You see, 
Christians are pro-life. I say that unapologetically. Christians are pro-life. Christians are those who value and embrace all people because all people of every race and ethnicity are uniquely designed by God and he was directly involved in their formation. Racial diversity is God's idea. God is directly involved in the formation of every human being. And to think biblically about race, we have to understand that in Christ we are all one. Every race, every ethnicity, we are one in Jesus. Galatians 3, 26 through 28 says this, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, for all of you have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and you are heirs according to the promise. Christians of every race and ethnicity, we are one in Jesus. We are one in our need of Jesus. We are one in having received the salvation that Jesus provides for us, and we are equal heirs of the promises of God. Full brothers and sisters, full brothers and sisters, completely equal heirs of the promises of God. Equal. The gospel of Jesus Christ lets us know that we are all in the same, we're all the same in our need of Christ. We are united in standing before him in need. And then when we come to faith in him, when we become part of the family of God, that means that we are family with everyone else who belongs to him. We're all brothers and sisters, same family, not one member of the family who's going to get the inheritance and the other member of the family who doesn't get anything. Equal heirs of the promises of God. What the gospel is supposed to do, what it is supposed to accomplish in those who receive it, is first, it is supposed to put an end to the enmity between us and God. And then it is supposed to put an end to the enmity between us and and other people. The gospel unites people who were divided before they received the gospel. Jew and Gentile, slave and free, men and women. If you don't already know this, let me share that in the world of the New Testament, these were the divisions that were the most deeply ingrained in people. They were deep. They were profound. The division, the enmity between Jew and Gentile, slave and free, men and women. Again, profound divisions. And yet, in Christ, the differences became meaningless and they became one in him. When we come to faith in Jesus, we become one with every other believer in Jesus. Christ tears down the dividing walls between us. He frees us of the enmity toward people that we used to have enmity toward. Hostilities cease 
and we embrace the truth that we are one, that we are family. And so here's what this means. It means that racism is a rejection of our unity in Christ. It's tantamount to saying to God, hey, you know, I know that you've made us all a part of the same family, but I reject this family. I know you've made us one, but I refuse to be one with people who aren't like me. It's a rejection of our unity in Christ, which means that in a very real sense for believers, racism is a rejection of the work of Christ on the cross. And that means that racism is a really big deal for a believer. Christ loves everyone. He died for everyone. Racism is a rejection of his work in making us one people in him. Racial diversity is God's idea. God is directly involved in the formation of every human being of every race and ethnicity. In Christ, we are all one. And to think biblically about race, we must understand that heaven will be filled with people of every race and every ethnicity. Everyone's going to be there. Every people group is going to be there. I shared this last week, but I think it, it is worth repeating today. Revelation 7, 9 through 12. This is what we read. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all of the angels were standing around the throne and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne. And they worshiped God saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. As I shared last week, this is where human history is headed. Like... That is going to be what we just read. That is the end result of all of human history. It's what Jesus came to earth for. It's what he lived a sinless life in perfect obedience to God for. It's what he died for. It's what he rose again for. It's what he is coming again for. Every nation, people, tribe, language, race, ethnicity... Praising God together as one people and his glory being magnified in the fact that all the peoples of the earth worship him as one. All of the peoples of the earth recognizing that he is king of kings and lord of lords. That is where human history is headed. That is what heaven looks like. Heaven is going to be the most diverse place 
that any of us have ever been. Michelle and I, in 1999, I think it was, came really close to moving to Chicago. And the area of Chicago that we were going to live in, I was told at that time, was the most racially diverse area of Chicago. Uh, actually, Ben and Katie Yee uh, interacted in that same area of Chicago before they came to us. That area of Chicago will have nothing on the racial diversity of heaven. It will be the most diverse place that any of us have ever been. And here's what this means. It means that racism is a rejection of what heaven will be. Think of it this way. John has painted this picture of heaven for us. If you have any type of imagination at all, you have visualized the picture. As we have read the words of John. You can see in your mind's eye, every race and ethnicity is there. Black, white, Asian, Native American, Hispanic. Every race, every ethnicity. You see the picture in your brain. The culmination of human history and the work of Christ. And your reaction is, well, I don't like them. And I don't like them. I guess heaven will be okay. It reminds me of a story I was told years ago of an interaction in a nursing home where the, the person who was holding a religious service for the nursing home residents was teaching the seniors there about how wonderful a place heaven was going to be. Pain and sorrow gone, no tears, no disease, no sickness. Everything was just going to be great. And one old guy from the back of the back of the room hollered out and said, That might be the case. But if Betsy's gonna be there, I don't want to go. <laughs> Betsy just got on his last nerve. <laughs> and heaven didn't sound so great if she was gonna be there. Racism is a rejection of of what heaven will be. And there's more. To think biblically about racism, we have to understand that racism is a violation of the greatest commandments. One day Jesus was asked, which of the commandments was the greatest one? And his answer is recorded in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Here's what it says. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Well, that's what he was asked. What's the greatest? We just told him. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbors yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, everything that I have ever tried to get through to you about how to relate to other people, it's all summed up in these two things. Love God, love everybody else. Love God, love people. Racism is a violation of the greatest commandments. It's a violation of the golden rule, which Jesus taught in Matthew seven twelve. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this, again, Jesus has a theme here, sums up the law and the prophets. 
as a violation of the greatest commandments and a violation of the golden rule, we have to understand that racism is a violation of the lordship of Jesus Christ. It is to have Christ make it clear to us what he requires. It's to have him like take our face in his hands or put his hands on our shoulders and say, like, stop looking around. Look at me right now. I, I have something important to tell you. Racism is wrong. And we look back and we say, no. God says, I don't want you to be like that. I don't want you to have those kind of attitudes. And we say, sorry, God, I'm not doing what you say. It is a rejection, a violation of the Lordship of Christ. It is saying to Christ and what he requires of us, no. When you consider all of this, when you think biblically about race, it becomes crystal clear that racism is sin. And as sin, it must be repented of and it must be turned away from. Now, repentance is turning away from sin. But I say it must be repented of and turned away from because I think that in our minds, we often think of repentance as saying we're sorry and committing to try to do better. So I want to make it very clear that true repentance includes that but it also means turning away from sin. And so if you find that there's racism present in your heart, if any of us find that, we should absolutely experience godly sorrow for that sin. We absolutely should ask God's forgiveness, and we should ask the forgiveness of anyone that we have wronged. We should commit to change, and then we must actually turn away and walk away from that sin. We have to turn away from it. We have to allow God to change us. So that we stop doing that sin. So for each of us here today. For those of you watching on live stream. Some questions. Does your heart need to change? Does racism reside in your heart? I hope the answer for all of us is no, but don't, don't dismiss the questions too quickly. Don't dismiss the questions too quickly. Honestly, allow the light of God's truth to shine on your heart. To reveal to you if there's anything there that God needs to, to get out of your heart. There's a time and a place to wrestle with the history of a nation there's a time and a place for political solutions that can help create a more just society. But sometimes debating those kind of things can often allow us to avoid the evaluation of our own hearts that needs to happen. Friends, God cares about the laws of nations. God cares that nations are just. But I have to say that in my reading of Scripture, it seems to me that what God is always most concerned about are the hearts of individuals. That's why I have focused as I have today. And so I appeal to you, don't be too quick to dismiss these questions. Allow the Holy Spirit to examine you today. Is there anything in your heart on this topic of race that needs to change? So what can we do? What can you do? What can I do?
If you recognize there is a problem in your heart against another race, here are just a few ex uh, uh, suggestions of things that you can do. There are many more. These are just a few. Acknowledge the reality of the darkness that's in your heart to God and repent. Allow the Holy Spirit to begin to transform your mind with the truth of God's word. One thing that you could do is to take this message that I've preached today, to take the outline that has been provided, and you could just go over this over and over and over again this week. Get it in your mind. Get it in your spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to drive it deep into you. If you have wronged a person, someone of another race, you should go to them and ask for their forgiveness. You should fervently pray for God to completely free you from all prejudice, from all racism. What if your heart has passed the examination and you feel that you can honestly say that there isn't a problem in your heart toward another race? There are still some things that you can do, that we can do. Here are a few of those suggestions. Number one, I encourage you to pray for our nation. I'm guilty of this as much as anyone. We Christians are great about talking about praying for the nation. We're, we're even really good at saying, I'm going to be praying. And it's almost like we get mixed up in our minds and we think the fact that we said we were going to pray actually counts as the prayer. And, and it actually doesn't. I'm going to pray is not a prayer. And so actually pray for our nation. I want to encourage you to pray for the family of George Floyd. You know, in the midst of all of this that has happened, the great injustice to him, and then the fact that, you know, he has become the focal point of this much larger movement, which is, is in many ways a great thing. But, you know, when your family member is lost, I don't know how comforting it is that they're now the, the cause of a, a great movement. You, you, you know what I'm saying? I, I hope that came out right. It's like, I still suffered loss. I'm still hurting over the actual person that died. And, and in some ways, I... Anyway, pray for the family of George Floyd. Pray for the hearts of people that need to change. There is no doubt that racism exists in our nation and pray for the hearts of people to change. Pray for those who have been victimized by racism throughout their lives, that God would heal their hurts, restore what the enemy has stolen from them, and that God would lead them into a future where they no longer suffer from the racism of others. Pray for those who have been victimized by the rioting, many of them black families who have had their businesses and their livelihoods destroyed. They have the double burden of mourning the loss of George Floyd, mourning the injustices that they have faced generally, while also suffering the loss of business and livelihood that they should never have suffered. So pray. Commit yourself, here's an important one, commit yourself to be intentional in your friendships. Intentionally seek friendships with people different from you, people of other races, and ethnicities. Now, I think the Tascal is like 95% white. I'm not telling you this isn't a challenge in Pataskala, okay? 
when, when Ben and Katie Yee moved here, after about six months, I said, so Ben, what's your, you know, what's your, what do you think about Pataskala? He said, I'm just not used to seeing this many white people. <laughs> so so I, I'm, I'm not saying we don't have some disadvantages in Pataskala in terms of creating these friendships, but, you know, we live pretty darn close to a major metropolitan city. And so do what you can. Uh, Become friends with people who are different than yourself, people of other races and ethnicities. If your own heart is good and you believe that you have insight into ways that our society can become more just, you believe that you have insight into laws that could change to better ensure justice, then by all means get involved in the political arena. Work to bring about change. Even if you're someone who says, you know what, I, I just don't know that I'm on board with this whole idea that, that, you know, the nation is fundamentally racist. Even if you struggle with that idea, you can still find ways that justice can be improved. Don't, don't allow reacting to political viewpoints and agendas that you may not agree with to cause you to think that we cannot become a more just society. Here is the truth, friends. Until Jesus returns, we can always discover ways to better ensure justice for all people. And so if you have ideas, get involved. And here's an important one. Make sure that in your own home, you are affirming the image of God in all people. Very important one. Very important one. Those are a few things you can do, and here's a really good thing you can do. Simply ask God, God, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? God, I, I believe that I've allowed you to work on my own heart. I believe my own heart is free from prejudice. I believe my own heart is free from racism. So God, what would you have me to do about this issue? God, show me if there is something you want me to do toward racial reconciliation, racial healing, and racial justice. Finally, here's something that we all can do, something I am inviting you to do. On Saturday, June 20th at 10 a.m., Pataskala area churches are holding a prayer walk in downtown Pataskala, the theme of the prayer walk is John 13:35 by this everyone you will know by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another the purpose of the prayer walk borrows from Dr Martin Luther King's statement that darkness cannot drive out darkness only light can do that hate cannot drive out hate only love can do that and the purpose is described by the area churches including ours we're on board with this uh, walk with this statement. We're living in unprecedented times and our community needs prayer now more than ever. In the wake of a health pandemic and a cultural crisis, Pataskala area churches are compelled to gather in unity to pray. We desire to pray for racial reconciliation, to affirm our belief that all are created in the image of God and equal in our humanity, to declare the kingdom of God is for every nation, language, tribe, tongue, and race, and to pray for the health and restoration of our nation. Furthermore, we pray against evil. Quote, 
For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Ephesians 6.12 And let us never forget, at the heart of racism and at the heart of all violence and injustice is that reality that behind it all is the evil of the unseen world. Behind it all is the evil one. We must never lose sight of that reality. I think this event on June 20th is going to be a worthwhile endeavor. And so I want to invite those of you who are willing, those of you who are comfortable in light of the fact that there is still a pandemic going on, uh, to participate in the prayer walk. I would love to see Vineyard Pataskala be strongly represented. If it's possible without a spirit of competition entering my heart, I would like, I would like Vineyard Pataskala to have the most people there of any other church. So, Heather, I meant to ask you this like two days ago. Can we quickly, after service, get a sign-up sheet for those who would be willing to do that? Because the next thing in my notes say, we have a sign-up sheet. <laughs> but we don't. So we will have a sign-up sheet for those of you who are willing to walk in this prayer walk. Let's stand.